Welcome to Get to the Good Part. I'm Ryan. I'm John. And this is Chris. And with us today is the winner of our contest. You know him on Reddit as the Pete Ah the Pete. Today we'll call him Aaron. Aaron, as I said, was the winner of our contest. Uh, he left us a uh, a great review on iTunes. So, Aaron, why don't you give us a little bit of history on uh, your obsession with Ready Player One? Well, let's see. I must, it was a, quite a few years ago when it was my brother who told me I should start reading it. I forget who told him to read it, but uh, I was reading the, the good old uh, Kindle version and blasted through it, which was kind of surprising because I do... I've never really been a, a video game enthusiast. So it was very surprising to have gotten into it as much as I did. And since then, certainly since uh, getting Will Wheaton to narrate for me, uh, I've probably read it two or three times a year since then. And actually, uh, so far this year, I've listened to it three times on on the way to work. So mm. it's, it's, it's just so much fun. I just love this book so much. It's amazing that everybody that I've heard that has read or listened to this book has done so multiple times. And this is my first time through. So I, I'm assuming afterwards, I'll, if I'm not sick of it by the end of it, uh, I'm assuming I'll, I'll, I'll probably want to read it again. Maybe in less than a year's time. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you yeah. reading reading it, or is Will Wheaton reading it to you? He's reading it. I'm reading. You're reading it. it. Yeah, yeah, I'm reading. Do you, do you have old school physical okay, real so, book? So this is something I wanted to bring up because I kicked myself so hard Damn. for not bringing it up last time. Uh, for people who listen to the show, uh, in chapter five, there was a point where Chris actually said, "I got the word version of the book today." <laughs> now. That didn't mean that he downloaded a Word document with, like, the book printed in it. When he said, I got the Word version of the book, what he means is he bought a book. And he wasn't listening to it as an audiobook. I bought the Kindle version. Oh, it has words. Oh, okay. So you, yeah. The cool part is, is if you bought the audio and the Kindle, you can watch it read to you. Like, it'll highlight the sentences and the words. And just sit there and it'll just read for me oh, that, and track yeah. my eyes along the page. It could not be lazier. That I'm not I did going not know to know I did that. that Whisper <laughs> Sync does that? That's awesome. It's freaking awesome. And I can make notes too. Like I can pause it and highlight it and put a note in there. Check that crap out later. Now that's pretty cool. You could oh just my God. read it. I am. I mean, it's helping me. No, you're it's not reading it read at all. It. You're listening. <laughs> you're following along. <laughs> With my finger. <laughs> It highlights it for me. Wow. You know, what's funny is that when I was like reading the paper version, I don't know why I'm calling it the paper version, but when I was reading the paper version <laughs> earlier today, all I hear now is Will Wheaton's voice. It has replaced really? my internal dialogue. <laughs> Look, I, Is that just for this book or for every book now? Uh, I don't know. I don't this know the last time I actually read words <laughs> <laughs> lately. <laughs> Everything I listen to or everything I read is book is audiobooks. It's I don't know what it is. Well, we keep telling me to steal is, candy bars. This is a good question. Okay, so so before you listen to this book in an audio in, in an audio book form, before you heard Will Wheaton read you this book, or even before you got into audiobooks, 
did you have a specific voice that when when you read books it was it was in that voice uh probably just my own voice i know i I haven't spoken to that voice in a long time now (laughs) (laughs) he brings me to a very dark place (laughs) which is why we said the paper version of the book just a minute ago (laughs) it's not george costanza's voice no (laughs) (laughs) that that episode of seinfeld was the reason i asked this question (laughs) I feel I, like ninety percent of respondents would say Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that would. If you wouldn't that get question. old? I think so. Oh, I don't think so. Because mm. like, I feel like every sense would be like a Twinkie. Hold on, I'm gonna go ahead. And, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna quote Chris on this one. I don't think so. Hmm. Hmm. So there's <laughs> there's some there's some going on there, Chris. You want to explain? <laughs> It's Morgan Freeman. Like, he could narrate the universe. He probably has. He has. has. He's narrated. I just, you know, when I hear him talk, I just, I want to be that penguin. Where he's just, you know, the penguin goes down the slope, leaves his family behind. Yeah, but let's be fair. I can't even do it. It doesn't even sound right. Like, I sound like like some radio broadcaster from the 20s. Let's be fair. Uh, You know, my life, your life is not as interesting as that penguin's. (laughs) (laughs) Chris woke up today and scratched his balls. He walked downstairs and poured some raisin bran. <laughs> he could make my life sound awesome. <laughs> he can make anything sound awesome. He 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 could like you know if he's if he said Chris got up in the morning and scratched his balls, you know that could that would be I would be like tell me more about these scratchy balls. <laughs> we don't want to talk we'll about what to happens next. <laughs> it wasn't a light scratch; it was a deep scratch. He slowly rolled over and then went back to sleep. Okay. <laughs> Carl Sagan could do the same thing, though. Oh, he could oh yeah. Yes. Anything sound interesting. My, my life could oh. be narrated by Carl Sagan. I'd be totally yeah. happy with that. Tell me more about the apple pie, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the Twinkie. <laughs> Don't. What, what about the Twinkie? Twinkie? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, slightly relevant to what we're talking about, but not entirely. In this episode, we asked our friends over on the Ready Player One subreddit, uh, to give us two things for this episode. One, their favorite 80s movie quote, which is something that comes into play in the chapter, and we'll, we'll address those as we get to it. The other is their favorite cliffhanger. This is something that, I, I, I don't know, I'll leave it to you guys. What do you want to do? Do you, do you want to wait? to? Do you want to save our favorite cliffhangers for the very end of the episode? I mean, we can acknowledge now, because, John, you've read chapter six, this first cliffhanger in the book. I've been waiting for years for you to get just just hooked into this book. Mm-hmm. Years? Years. I've been telling John about this book for years. That's the reason we started the podcast, is because John wouldn't read it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I suckered him into reading the book. I'm, I'm going to give you Let's a Let's do a podcast. What about yeah. that fucking book we've been talking about? <laughs> now you've got to read it. So slowly. So given. Slowly. <laughs> Given like by, this is this is months and months of anticipation, years really. Mm-hmm. We've hit the first cliffhanger in the book. Yes. How you feeling? How you feeling today, John? I'm feeling okay, actually. Uh, I I'll admit my immediate reaction when I turned the page and it was the next chapter. I said, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um, and I did not read the next chapter, so don't uh, don't think I cheated. 
But I will say, I will say, as he was discussing, as he was talking about dissecting that dialogue or those words from the message that was left over from Halliday, as he was doing it, I was doing it as well as I was reading it. So I have an idea as to where it is. I'm not going to say because if I'm right, you're going to say, oh, well, you read ahead or that was too easy. Well, you already have wrong, an idea, so. Oh, yeah. that's and killing if I'm me. Wrong, <laughs> no matter how you cultivated that say, idea, John. If I'm, if I'm wrong, then I'm going to come off as an idiot. That's so, like the ultimate cliffhanger. That it is. Uh, I, you know, if you're wrong, if you haven't read ahead, it's not a big deal. You're not an idiot. You know, it never hurts to kind of kind of guess at what's going to happen next. Right. Frankly, I would have asked you to guess because I'm curious. You want to you want to hear my guess? This of could course be, you this do. Could be, yeah. This could be <laughs> yeah. edited out if uh, if I if I. <laughs> no, we're just we're just gonna put on our fucking straight faces. No, we're we're gonna put not, on our straight now, faces. If if you get it right, we're not okay. gonna tell you. If you, you get it wrong, we're not gonna laugh at you. Okay, good. Nope. Uh, so I'll I'll go into my my reasoning along with or as I was reading, I'll go along with my reasoning. So he's picking apart. It's I believe the second line. What is that line he's dissecting there? The copper key awaits explorers. In a tomb filled with horrors. But you have much to learn if you hope to earn. You have much to learn is the is the line he's he's kind of reading into and trying to read into a little more. It's the one that doesn't make sense to him. Right. So he's stuck on one planet. The rest of the galaxy, the rest of the oasis has been explored. And nobody has found the tomb of horrors. And you have much to learn, and he's not able to leave the planet, but he has access to the library. So my guess is that since he doesn't have the means to leave, and that's where all of his knowledge is found, he's going to find the Tomb of Horrors underneath or around the library. That's very Indiana Jones. That is very Indiana Jones. <laughs> X marks the spot. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's a great guess. That's a really good guess. Yeah. I mean, okay. totally fucking wrong. But yeah. Or even if it's right, I'm going to tell you that it's wrong because uh, you know I want you to suffer through a couple weeks here. I just uh, I, d- does it? Make <laughs> you had sense, your opportunity, though? man. D- does it make sense. sense though? It does. Yeah. You you have a reasoning and a logic. No, and you know it's funny. There was somebody uh, somebody on Facebook today, Amy Rice said it's torture having to wait for the next episode i can't, I can't. Aww. <laughs> i can't imagine how difficult it will be for john to stretch the book over the course of a year so it's going to be she's understanding your plight here yeah. <laughs> it's going to be and right now i haven't been tested all too much until this point but uh, this is when it picks up. Uh, this is when yeah. we go full steam cliffhanger. Every chapter after real. this is just a nail biter. Yeah, I don't know how. The, I mean, I don't know how I'm gonna mentally hold up over the next couple months. Well, I, you know, we'll see. I, I love you, man, but I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> you had your opportunity. First of all, second of all, this is when the podcast gets good. I I have been so excited to get to this point in the book because. Everything in, you know, from 
from the prologue to chapter five is laying the groundwork for the book. And mm-hmm. it's all super important. But we finally got to the point where you can kind of come in and do things like what we just did, like, you know, uh, enter into some speculation about what's going to happen next. Right. And we can kind of laugh and poke fun and everything like that. But yeah, so this next is next episode. We can say, oh, John, you were a dumbass. You thought it was the library. <laughs> no, it's not. But, but it's not that. It, it, it's, no, I know you have. It's it's really interesting, I think, to have somebody on the show who doesn't know what happens after the cliffhanger, because, right. you know, between Chris, Aaron and me, we've we've read this book so many times, probably between the three of us, <laughs> an embarrassing amount of times. But, you know, we we know it's backwards and front so right. well. We're so far removed from that first uh, that first touch. And that's where we're at tinfoil hat level at right. the moment. <laughs> See, I, I was read I was reading the book so fast that I didn't have time to come up with a theory. I was just like, I got to read the rest. Well, I will say that when he uh, when he's talking about the limerick that was discovered mm-hmm. from the uh, the letters that had the little imperfection, the notches in it. Yeah. yeah, the notches in the letters. I thought, I wonder if I should go back and look at every letter up until now, see if that's actually a thing in this book. Well, it is. Mm-hmm. It's that was actually they had that. We've talked about the contest a little bit before, right? What? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, but uh, we didn't talk about any details. Right. That was that was. Uh, I think the first tier or the first gate of of Ernest Klein's contest uh, for finding the Easter egg of ready player one to win the DeLorean. Um, it has to do with notches in the book. I, I don't think it was notches. I thought it was misspelled words. There's a, there's a, a science fiction and fantasy stack exchange board where uh, somebody asked in the printed version of ready player one lies an Easter egg hidden in some misspelling from which readers can deduce the site where the Ready Player One competition took place. He said he gave it to a friend who was interested and can't get it back. Can anyone scan me that page or tell me where it is? <laughs> where it is so I can ask him. See, that was his first mistake. <laughs> Gunters don't lend other Gunters hints. Right. Dumbass. Now you're never going to get the damn thing back. That's, that is, he didn't read the book. <laughs> you, you don't help other Gunters. He just wanted a DeLorean. Now he's like, I can't get the book back. I'm not going to get the car. Can somebody give me a hint? See, this oh, yeah, is yeah. where this Don't is where John it. not reading the book like like really kind of runs afoul because I can't tell you what the last part of the contest was because it'll give up a plot point in the book. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Let's get started on the chapter in earnest here and move through it. This is actually going to be a fairly quick chapter for all intents and purposes compared to other chapters. It does have the biggest cliffhanger in the book. But it is sort of a regurgitation of shit that we've already covered in Ready Player One. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yes. I, I call yeah. this the, the name-dropping chapter. Yeah. The, this this is, is the chapter where he has to lay down how he gets to the place at the end of the chapter. He's got to say, I have been through it all. You don't understand. Right. I've seen – I've read all the damn books. I have gone through the movies. I've listened to all the music. And he's just naming them off one yeah. after another. Oh, I did that and went through that. And it's a giant nerdgasm. It's exactly it. Yeah, I mean he's, he's just kind of – but I think you have to get to that place. You have to 
buffer that in order to get to that place at the end where he says, you know, I'm really serious here and it's taken me forever to get here. And then all of a sudden it hits me. It's kind of like this conditions of history and current situation all collide into one moment. See, now I read this chapter a little bit differently on my second read through, but I almost read this chapter like a red herring chapter where he's throwing out all of these clues. He's, I mean, he's basically giving you a, a short version of the almanac, right? Throwing all this shit at you. It's almost like something to distract you from the fact that, you know, there's this cliffhanger coming up. And, you know, it may be very obvious unless I lace the chapter with all of these, you know, what could be hints. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I yeah. I think he had to validate how dedicated Wade was when he wrote sure. this chapter. But, but here's a, and here's my here. You know, and this this might sound like an indictment on Klein as a writer. I don't mean for it to, mm-hmm. but we've got that. I mean, we're at chapter six now, and the first five chapters are about how Wade is obsessed with this no, contest. I I understand that, but he's been he's been dropping references over the the previous five chapters. But this, he is just naming everything he can possibly think of. I think you forgot about movies. the prologue. It's because like the okay. If you add up speech. every right, <laughs> if you add up every exactly. reference, if you add up every reference in the in the first five chapters, it wouldn't it wouldn't come close to what's written in chapter six. No, I love that. So it, he it, has wait. to show how much he knows, and it goes beyond the eighties because he even you know references things that are a little bef- a little before and after. I want to extrapolate that a little bit, though, what Aaron was just saying. It's like an Oscar-winning speech. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's almost like, story's about to begin in earnest, folks. Like, <laughs> here's who I owe it to. <laughs> it, it, But it did almost come off as a little arrogant to me when I was reading yes. it. I think I like, just... yeah, of course. God, I know. I, <laughs> like, yeah. I know you're into this shit, but... And he's just he's just rationalizing the last paragraph. He's just yeah. creating this... this uh, this, you know, in order to drop the last thing in this chapter, we've got to revisit the fact that he's obsessed. I mean, so obsessed that he's covered all of these books, all of this music. Yeah, it's kind of a bit braggy, mm-hmm. but it's just to say that, you know, he covered everything. So Honestly, obsessed. and it's only seen... to come to it now. I'm not sure there's enough time <laughs> in the day well, to go through all we're gonna the get stuff to. He's gone through. We're we're gonna get to that, and and that's something that uh, Aaron and I, when we spoke before we started recording and everything like that, mm-hmm. Aaron had a really good point about this. Okay. Um. Before we get to that, though, sure. We're talking about Wade's obsession with the almanac, which is obvious. Clearly, he's obsessed with the almanac. It's well established. Five chapters in, we're on chapter six now. And as we open up chapter six, we find Wade Watts sitting in one other class but Latin. The reason he's taken Latin is not because he has any particular interest in the language. It's a dead language. We all know that. But it's a language that is, first of all, Halliday uh, took Latin in high school. And uh, also there's there's a lot, you know, because of that, there are a lot of uh, uses of the Latin language throughout the almanac so he's using this as a point of clarification for himself um he also mentions at this point that most students took a foreign language that they might be able to use like mandarin hindi or spanish ready player one is a a dystopian view on society in the future right yes 
I think we can agree. Sure. <laughs> yes, totally. We've, we've clarified that by now. But in what ways is Mandarin, Hindi, or Spanish going to help him at, at this day and age? In you know, in, and I'm talking specifically about you know the universe of Ready Player One. Because it seems to me that technology revolves around um, gregarious simulations at this point, right? Which is yes. yeah. which is an American-based company. He even says at one point uh, that the term internet has been completely, you know, scrubbed and is just basically a generic term that's, you know, I mean, it, the Oasis has pretty much taken over the term internet, right? But it's used all over the world. Yeah, but considering the... the- the, uh, how much the contest has taken over global culture the the almanac is written in english so it's not going to translate into other languages in a way that you can you know you're not going to get the author's intent the same way so yeah why wouldn't english still you know be the dominant cultural language or right it would but not everybody in the oasis is there for the hunt. But that's not what I'm saying. I mean, he's saying that that Mandarin, Hindi, or Spanish are three languages that would help you uh, at some point in the future. Foreign language yeah, that, that might sense. actually be you uh, might be useful someday, I think is exactly what he says. Right, sure. Uh, in what way are they useful to him? I mean... I can, I can nail this one down. Shoot. Okay, go for it. So you're talking about a world that is just entrenched in a dystopian technology future, right? So the environment sucks. So when you've got a problem and you call someone, who do you think you're calling? Ghostbusters? Cupertino? Somebody who's Indian. (laughs) And there are a ton of programmers that are Indian. Uh, As far as tech is concerned, India is really high on the list as far as peeps that you could go to and, and drum out some serious software. You know, so knowing that and being able to read the software, even if it's at that higher level where you're developing within the Oasis but still writing code, you know, some of it might be in Hindi. So you're saying it's a it's a workforce thing? It uh, could be. Well, it's a technology thing because then China, on the flip side of that, is also huge as far as the manufacturing side is concerned. And the largest language in China is Mandarin. Sure. And Mandarin is huge. We're talking about it is the number one language in the world right now. So what you're saying is not necessarily GSS or, I mean, maybe specifically to the employees that they hire, but more to the third party hardware makers and things like that. Absolutely. Or it might even be so predominant that it's that its influence has moved across countries that right now that isn't the predominant language, but eventually would be. If you were going to ask the question right now, what three languages would be the more useful languages other than English, would the answer be any different? No. Chinese is number one, particularly mm-hmm. Mandarin. Spanish is number two. And Hindi is number four. English is number three. Here, here's what I would say. I still think that Latin is an extremely important language to learn. And the oh, reason yes, is, is totally. It's, I mean, it's it's a root language. Latin is the root. Exactly. It's a, Latin is a root language. And the better you understand Latin, I think the better equipped you are to learn other languages. And let's keep in Latin. mind, Wade, Wade is still in high school, right? You would have to think that by 2045, they would have invented a, a better way to learn new languages within the Oasis, right? Like the Matrix? Sure. 
Just kind of plug in, <laughs> download. <laughs> I know Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> but go through five minutes of a little of a little epileptic seizure and you're done. You're like, I learned Chinese. I know, yeah. hey, How sure. awesome would that be? <laughs> It'd be Just fucking come awesome. Out oh my god, that would be great. You could read Ready yeah. Player One in like a nanosecond. Oh yeah. There, there, there is actually some methods right now that are being researched for heightened learning, particularly in language and math. Extrapolate on that. I want. I, I actually want to hear about. I've that. read about this too. All right. So there's a method called a uh, transcranial direct current stimulation. So it's a TDCS. Yeah, it sounds safe. No, I have yeah, one totally. of these devices. Yeah. Oh, I do too, uh, and I have one shipping from Focus in the next month or so. And the gist is that if you run current through your brain in a certain place, you can actually heighten that particular area's abilities. Now, the downside is that wherever it leaves, it has the potential to lower. So you stimulate one end, but you lower the other. It's kind of a weird effect, but you, if you do it right, you can do some really cool stuff. And this is something that DARPA has been into. It's something that a lot of researchers have poured some time into researching because, you know, it's, first off, it's very easy technology to create. With about 20 bucks worth of hardware from Radio Shack, you could create your own. But should you? <laughs> <laughs> Run current through your brain? <laughs> like at home should with you? Radio Shack parts? Is there even that still Radio just, Shack? Just pick, up a, pick, up, a battery. pick up a car battery from Sears on your way home? <laughs> You're making you're making my hobby sound like it's a bad idea. No, it's a bad idea if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, and a lot of Just people don't. Don't take a defibrillator off the wall and try it with that. <laughs> no, shouldn't put a defibrillator to your forehead. This is true. Uh, but I, I will say this though: it's it's you know the, about the most you're going to get in is about two amps, and uh, you're going to be pulling it from a nine volt battery. Uh, did I say amps? I'm sorry, milliamps. I think it's milliamps. Yeah, nine uh, amps sounds like a lot. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 pretty neat, and I've done a little bit of self testing. See, that's why like the whole idea of doing it by yourself just seems like a little too risky. <laughs> right. <laughs> I totally agree. Honey, I need you to watch me over the next twenty minutes. Just just don't take a bath while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. You guys might you guys might be wondering why Chris hasn't joined us for the last half hour of this episode. It's because he is. He's convulsing on his... We're watching him convulse. He's flopping around like a fish out of water. He's been throwing us a thumbs up, though, so we think he's just learning. With a smile. With a smile. (laughs) But whatever language interests you or is useful in the Oasis or in 2045, uh, it doesn't really matter because Latin is still pretty damn boring, according to Wade Watts. Uh, I can attest to this fact. I took Latin, and uh, although it increased my SAT scores, it was pretty boring. Uh, see, I took Latin, and I enjoyed the shit out of it. I loved it. Couldn't you just pretend that it's like magic spells? Couldn't you just string some Latin together? <laughs> Agus lupanus no. nobus. Lorem ipsum, whatever the other worst of it is. Exactly. That is the <laughs> spell for casting garbage words. I, I thought that just meant copy-paste. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's it's a copy filler. It's the spell for copy filler. I would bring I would bring a wand to my Latin class. I might even wear like one of those cat you know domed hats. I would come dressed as a mage, or a dunce, or a lonely lonely man. <laughs> you would show up. You would show up just dressed in like like a robe, 
with like a skull on the back. And all of your students would be like, what the fuck? Throwing is down this? the yees and the these. I have come to learn. <laughs> Teach me your foreign dead language that I might cast on others. <laughs> okay, so, so now we're like a post Shakespearean English. <laughs> Not Latin at all. <laughs> uh, we have jumped the shark, folks. <laughs> I, I don't know any Latin, so that's the problem, really. So, Miss Rank is teaching this class. What an appropriate name for somebody who's teaching you something you don't want to learn. <laughs> um, Maybe she's an Inuit. <laughs> she has a hard time making her lessons interesting. Now, okay, so I've got to keep in mind, as I read through the book, that Wade is just like, you know, he's a high school student. You know what I mean? But yeah. I feel like he has this very judgmental stance on almost everybody that he meets in the beginning of the book. I mean, like to say, to, like she has a hard time making her lessons interesting. It's such a shitty indictment on a person. Well, they're they're not exactly going to Jupiter and the rings of Saturn here. Sure. Like, what kind of holodeck like experience can they do in Latin? <laughs> Here's like they, when they sign the Magna Carta. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the best magic she can do is have the words automatically appear on the chalkboard. That's a good point. I don't know. You're right. There's there's really no way to make that awesome. Right, unless but, like the words were associated with pictures that popped up in the air or some BS. I, it would be hard. But that's and not that, the point of school. That just sounds lame. Yeah, it does. It does. Especially it, you when know, you just schools... came from a class where you're, you know, you're flying across, you know, the moons of Jupiter and, you know, all that kind of cool stuff. Like what's going to compare? All those classes that come before Latin. Well, I can that. tell you from my experience with Latin was that my my SAT scores on my verbal section went up like 200 points just from taking Latin for right. a year. Because you know words better when you understand Absolutely. So, like, it's certainly useful. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the danger of the Oasis. Because you don't have this flashy sort of, you know, I can go to, I can go to outer space, I can... You know, you, you can do anything in the Oasis. And then here's this thing that there's really no way to simulate a heightened experience. And he literally says she has a hard time making this lesson interesting. Now, it doesn't mean that Latin's less important, right? Clearly, Halliday thought it was important. And he certainly found it interesting enough to incorporate into the almanac. I, I just feel like there's a disconnect there. You know, I mean, like if if Halliday were still alive, he would be like, you know, oh, you got to learn Latin. Could, could he find it not interesting because of his interest in it because of Halliday? Maybe he's kind of read ahead. He's just bored because he kind of knows it. He did his own studying. Could be. I hadn't thought about that. Or maybe Latin's just boring. And you, you know, maybe Latin's just boring. <laughs> and, you, and you can't spice it up anyway, not even in the Oasis. Says the says the guy who's reading his first book ever. And I think the Fourth. teacher's being lazy. Like of Fourth. all the resources that you have to just be at the front of the class and go, this is the root word for this. Or that's what this word means. That's ridiculous. Like you could take that and you could go back in time to a small village 
where people are actually speaking it before it was a dead language and then listen to their conversations and maybe have the translation pop up over their head. Sure. That whole sort of immersion into a language really forces you to struggle to communicate. Like they could do that in the Oasis. Instead, this teacher is just standing up front going, this word means that. It Crap. Yeah, it sounds kind of shitty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sounds like say? a... It sounds, sounds like rank. a regular public yeah. school. I thought all, I thought the Oasis had all the best teachers. She sounds terrible. Yeah, she's yeah, pretty rank. She's horrible. She sounds <laughs> pretty rank. This one, or maybe it's intentionally boring. Why would it be intentionally boring? <laughs> because uh, I'm assuming Latin plays a big role in uh, the almanac. So oh. I mean, why not make it intentionally boring for only those? true gunters to uh to force themselves to learn are you saying that this is a position from klein to try and draw you away from the importance of latin or are you saying i'm saying it halliday's design well he didn't design the teachers though not exactly like that maybe she's an npc that was something that we had talked about i think in the last episode when you don't know whether the teachers are NPCs or not, because you mm-hmm. you would imagine that they could simulate like the voice of an AI, it's completely feasible that by 2045, you would be able to simulate an NPC teacher that would that that would be a you know nearly indiscernible to your ear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So that's, I, I like that point that Aaron brings up that that the teachers, you know, I mean, in in uh, you know, is it this chapter two chapters ago, you know, we said that um, the teacher that he really liked, Mister yeah, Mister Venevich, you know, he could be this you know this stately fellow that he sees before him, or he could be an Inuit woman. One thing that he does not bring up is that it could be an NPC. Now we're going a little outside of the lore here. We're going a little outside of, of you know, of, of what we have, the only text that we have. But I think it's an important thing to bring up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, and and that would save on teachers and the teacher wouldn't have to teach every day. They could create a course, uh, watch the MPC go through its paces with whatever voice and inflection it wants. And then when it comes time to answering questions, that's maybe when the teacher could step in. Or if the AI is good enough. So you're saying it, the teacher is almost a supervisor over the AI? Well, if you did it that way, think of how many more kids you could teach. Right. Because if all you're doing is, is really addressing the questions, uh, you could teach hundreds of kids, even though it might seem that you're in a classroom of 20 or 40. Right. You could teach thousands if you wanted to. So you're saying the NPC uh, is sort of an overlay, and then when a question kicks in, the teacher comes in and and answers the question for the NPC. Sure, yeah. But you would think that the the knowledge bank of the NPC would be enough to where it could address questions and even simulate a humorous response. Yeah, possibly. I mean, think about where AI is like right now. Right. And it's, you, we're getting there. Uh, you know, we're not talking Siri. We're talking about something closer to like uh, IBM's Watson. So you're right, right. Okay, so yeah. you've got computers that can that can play a perfect chess game. Now that's a little more linear than thought, obviously. But you know, I think that it, it and this is my novice understanding of of how AI works, Chris. You'd be 
probably best qualified out of all of us to answer. But it seems like the one of the biggest hurdles that AI has right now is finding a way for it to organically interface with human beings. Voice that's always the challenge. One of the biggest things. Yeah, that's that's always the challenge. What you're really talking about is the Turing test. Yeah. Are you familiar with are you familiar with the Turing yeah. test? Well, the listeners so let's just may pretend not be, so no let's, one's familiar with the Turing test. So the idea, the idea here is that if you were on one side of a door and you were told that there may or may not be somebody on the other side of the door, and if you wrote a note and slipped it under the door, and then somebody intercepted that, put it into a machine, printed off a response to that, slipped it to the other side, it's basically a, a text chat. Could you identify whether or not the thing you were talking to is human? And if you can't, then it's close enough. Then it's close enough possibly to even say that it's a conscious thing. That if it can fool us, then, you know, what's consciousness but the ability to to communicate on a very surface level and do it well amongst humans? Now, I think we've defined consciousness a little bit more granular since then, but there's still every year is the turn test competition. I think that's that's what you're talking about is like at what point does the computer become so intelligent that it can you can have a conversation and it makes sense. Do you ever see the movie Ex Ex Machina or Ex Machina? Machina. Yeah. What's I'm sorry, what was that? Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Yeah, that's yes. exactly what this is all that's exactly what that movie's all about. It was really good. Yeah, that was a that was I didn't like the ending of the movie, but everything right up to the ending I was on board with. That was really cool. Yeah. No spoilers, I haven't seen it. So whatever your position is on AI in the future in twenty forty five, doesn't matter to Wade because it is boring as shit. <laughs> That's what we know right now. Um This AI teacher sucks. Yeah. This AI teacher sucks. And right now, Wade is trying to find a way to fill his time. So what he does is he exploits a bug in the library software, which he found when he was a junior, I believe. And he's found a way to access the Bible of Ready Player One, Anorax Almanac, while he's in class, right? And what he's doing as class unfolds before him, his Latin class, He's pouring back through over passages that uh, he knows and he knows well. It's here that we kind of jump into Wade doing what he's done throughout the book, which is basically uh, to unpack on you the knowledge stored within the almanac, which includes a shitload, a metric shitload of pop culture information. Can I just say something here okay so in mr a's class he references when he actually goes into uh his first class he he talks about how students are forced to sit there they can't they can't be distracted they can't look at any they are forced to pay attention to the class and their teacher Mm -hmm. but yet in latin when it's convenient and boring he finds a bug that allows him to escape the classroom and research the almanac. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's convenient because it it opens up a, a door to me explaining all this stuff about how dedicated Wade is. Maybe it's just commentary on how great Avinovich is. 
or Arenovich. Like if he's that, uh, I thought about that too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that too, but he goes into describing, well, that students aren't able to be distracted. They can't be distracting in class and they can't be distracted, uh, from class. They're, they're forced to be attentive, but yet here he can, he can escape. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it sounds a little too convenient. Okay, so here's my take on it. Here's my hot take. Uh, as of this Friday, a 34-year-old man. Okay, there's a difference between passion and progress. And it's hard to tell that difference when you're in, in the height of your interest, right? And there's a difference between my passion for something and the means by which I progress to do something. And that difference oftentimes lies in if you're passionate about something, you're thinking about, you know, mostly the good parts of it, right? It, you know, mm-hmm. the high points. Progress lies on the little incremental things you have to do. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you think it would be a really great job to, you know, uh, you know, start your own company or start your own whiskey distillery, right? Heck yeah. You know, but but then when you start your whiskey distillery, there are all these nuts and bolts parts of the job that really remind you of just a normal office job. Yeah, and when you're it, not making them <laughs> right up until that point where you're making lots of money selling whiskey, you're also an accountant, right. which you might not have a lot of passion in. You're also the marketing person, which you might not have a lot of passion in. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the higher the passion, the more it drags you through the stuff that's that's but, a bit of a drag. But regardless. Passion brings you into making whiskey. Passion brings you into making a podcast. Passion brings you into fucking Latin in Wade's case. Mm-hmm. But progress rank. is a different story. Progress means that you have to learn all the Latin phrases. But I'm saying that that's where Wade's head is in the book. And I actually, I'm going to diverge from you guys on this point, And I'm going to give Klein a little bit of props here. Because I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that Wade is a little bit, uh, he's sort of an old soul as far as this is concerned. I I think this is Wade almost acknowledging, I got into this for this reason, and then I realized it's a complete fucking suck. It's it's terrible. I I, I can't get interested in it, even though I want to. It's one of the only disconnects between him and Halliday. As far as their drive, yeah, I still, uh, I still don't think I'm describing <laughs> my 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 question. I understand. I don't what think you're you saying. understand what you I'm did, saying. You understand what I'm saying. I absolutely understand what you're saying, Aaron. You understand. <laughs> I what understand I'm saying? the words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> but you guys are talking about passion. I don't. I'm not talking about passion or the grind or anything like that. I'm talking about you referenced work. Let's say you're sitting at your work computer and your work computer does not allow you to visit any other, any unrestricted websites. Right. But you're working on a certain project at the end of the day and, oh yeah, I can, I can go to this website because I found a bug. Yeah. I think it's just really, a, uh, it sounds like a convenient detail, but all it really is in my head is that one teacher is really good at captivating the the student audience and the other isn't. And it's just that he introduces this detail, like which is still true technically in the other class, 
but he doesn't exploit the bug there because Mr. Avenovich is just so good at his job. Okay. I, I think that's what it comes down to. Okay. It, I feel it like reads I reached like, yes, one it's of a you. convenient <laughs> detail. So what I just kind of thought about, what just came to my head is, you know, like in the previous chapters where he's talking about how like not want, like in the advanced Oasis class mm-hmm. and not wanting, like he kind of holds back because he doesn't want to like reveal certain details or whatever. And he doesn't, you know, implying that he doesn't want to miss anything. So even though he may be bored in Latin class, doesn't he not want to miss anything that like something in the language that might help him in the hunt? Is right. that not, is that maybe not a flaw in Wade's character that, even like this class that he took specifically to help him in his quest. And right. while he's reading the almanac, which is equally as important, he does reveal in this chapter how much time he spends studying. Right. So maybe this is more of a character flaw on his part. Which is which is the, the reason that I brought up the passion versus progress, right? You feel very passionate about the hunt, so you take this class... But when you realize the progress depends on these incremental things, you're not as interested. So he's in Latin class. He knows he's got to take Latin because, you know, you got to because Holiday was big into it. But while he's bored in Latin class, so this is the thing that's kind of a drag for him. This is his grind. He's then studying what he wants to study. He's still researching the egg. He's still pulling up Halliday's material and still researching. He's just doing it, what he's more passionate about as far as his study is concerned. And I think what all of this is going to boil down to is that the area that he's been the least interested in has baked into it what he needs. And as okay. a result, he's missed it. You know, he's learned all of this other shit that he was really interested in and passionate about. When it came to the boring shit, he's just been very blasé about it. And I really didn't think about it until you guys started bantering it back and forth. But this chapter really brings out the, I studied the shit I was really interested exactly. in. Exactly. All the shows, the games, the music, all the shit I would be interested in. And I'm saying that while I'm sitting in a classroom studying something I'm not interested in. Like the things that are most palatable, he's very passionate about. Right. And if you were going to hide something, wouldn't you want to hide it in the place that people either A, would look towards last or B, would care the least about in the material that you're presenting? That's where you would hide it. The person who really progressed in that area uh, that no one else really cares about. Yeah, you reached. Yeah, you took the deep cuts in, man. (laughs) Yeah, you've really reached those levels. Uh, so uh, I, like know, I don't know that we can I don't know that we can talk any further yeah, about this. Exactly. I like that, though. I know. I agree. That's the but that's the point. Yeah. I mean, like he's looking for the deep cuts. You know, it'd be the same if like, you know, he worked in a pizza place and, you know, as cool as it was to work in a pizza place in the 80s. I'm sure you probably didn't think it was cool when you were there then. But like you're the guy that mops the floors and somehow you find the clue mopping the floors. It's not that you ever enjoyed mopping the floors, but that's where the clue was. Yeah, if you paid attention. Right. Uh, I feel I feel okay kind of going over in detail the stuff at the beginning and the end of this chapter. Because the middle of this chapter is, I don't want to say thin, because it's it's packed with a bunch of references that we all know and love. It's a big motherfucking list. <laughs> yes, it is a fucking list. 
I've put most of those references on Facebook. There's a lot of cool shit there. There is. There's a lot of really Except for cool GoBots. shit there. GoBots sucked. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. I, like, look, guys, you may want me to, and we're going to address the uh, this this stuff on Reddit. There's there's a good portion of this chapter that I would call filler. You know, you can call that derogatory, but it really is. I mean, heresy. would you guys agree? Uh, heresy is the word I was going for. Heresy. That's the word I was going to use, yeah. <laughs> it's filler. It, it, it's it's a lot of just regurgitating pop culture. I, I think it's interesting, and I don't know if you guys do or not, but he, he really does section them off. So we start first with uh, with writers. Douglas Adams, Kurt Vonnegut, Neil Stevenson, Richard K. Morgan, Stephen King, Orson Scott Card, Terry Pratchett, Terry Brooks, Bester, Bradbury, Haldeman, Heinlein, Tolkien, Vance, Gibson, Gaiman, Sterling, Moorcock, Scalzi, and... God, that really says Moorcock. the last. <laughs> yes, it wow. does. I didn't hear that wrong. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was like, surely that's not. Oh no, it is. It is actually pronounced that way. Right? I don't think it was. A, I, don't, I don't think it was a request. It was <laughs> Brian, Brian was asking <laughs> subliminally. Can I get some more cock Damon Sterling Moorcock. Okay, so uh, anyways, I Sorry. here's something that I thought was kind of interesting about this part. For half of the list, he goes first name, last name. For the second half of the list, he goes just last name. Anybody else notice that? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Ernest Klein got bored of writing all the names that soon. <laughs> you think it's as simple as that? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> I think it I think it goes along like you just go full name and after a while it's just, you know, like a gun. Bam, bam, bam. I, I bam, think he's trying know, to it's... emulate stream of consciousness like thought. Like you'll like if you were reading out a list, you'd probably start off with full names, then you'd be like, Okay, then you know, Bester, Bradbury, Haldeman. And, you know, you, you probably do the same thing. It's just that in a book, you're going to notice it very clearly. So what we're talking about is the first name, first name and last name of those authors. And one of the things you brought up, and I'm glad you did, was that, you know, you may or may not know who those people were. Okay, so can you guess the first name of Bester? I'm going to recuse myself because I actually looked these up because I had no idea <laughs> most of their names. Okay. Actually, all I got to say is I don't know anyone named Bester. Okay. Author or otherwise. So we all know the next one. Ray Bradbury. Yep. Right. What about Heinlein? Anybody? Joey? That's easy. Robert? Starship Troopers. You guys don't know Heinlein? Heinlein? No. Well, John, I'm, you're safe because you don't read that often. <laughs> yeah, but I still recognize Heinlein you recognize the short story or the novel that Starship Troopers was based on right Tolkien okay. everybody knows that J.R.R. Tolkien no I never heard of that guy Bobby who's that Bobby <laughs> Tolkien that's the dude that wrote those books about those people walking Lord of the Kings I've never oh, heard of that oh he wrote the book version of Lord of the Rings <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the book <laughs> before or after the movie all right, so everybody. Uh, okay, so Gaiman obviously knows. Yeah. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that's Neil Gaiman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Scalzi. John Scalzi is actually a really close friend of Ernest Klein. You totally jumped over Moorcock. Yeah, you're saving cock for last. Creepy on the listeners, man. Moorcock, go for it. What do you got? Herbie. 
What do you got? Just I, I know you've got jokes written down. Who, what do you who's got? your Who's your more cock, Chris? Herbie. <laughs> Herbie. Did we just cover that? <laughs> Didn't you just tell us that? That was That was the other cock. That was the yeah. other. You're getting your cocks mixed up, man. Lots of cock oh, in this book. <laughs> Need to study up on your cocks. <laughs> I got a fever. It's the only prescription. It's more cock. More cock. <laughs> All right. Can I get a hand over here? John's a, that was a sigh of a man who has to edit this fucking yeah. episode. <laughs> he's he's going to have to cut the cock out. Is really <laughs> I'll, like, I'll, I'll, as much cock as you can handle, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of cock, John. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh lord! All right, so. He's also watched every single film referenced in the Almanac, uh, which includes Halliday's favorites. And I got to admit, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we go through the films, it's really just like, I don't know if 80s films were just that good where you could throw these names out and everybody would be like, well, of course, yeah, that's my favorite. Those are my favorite 80s films. Or if he was just, like, kind of pandering to, you know, the most popular films of the 80s. It's hard for me to differentiate because these are my favorite films. And I figure, like, everybody knows these. But that may not be the case for everybody. I I think there are a few that if you just didn't go through the 80s that you wouldn't know. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect Better Off Dead to oh, be on a person's dude. list if they hadn't gone. I know. I know. I know. I love that film. Uh, Real Genius loved Real Genius. Mm-hmm. You'd have, you know, I, I would, I would expect that there'd be some of these. Oh, you mean that uh, just people wouldn't relate to Real Genius? You're talking about Val Kilmer's best movie? Oh, that was his best. <laughs> Don't movie. even. His best movie. Best Don't movie even for that question. Willow. What? Don't Willow. want to do this again. That's why you said it. Willow's his best movie. Time out. We, we, hold on. We have, we have somebody that can clear this up. Aaron. Yes. Willow or Real Genius? Uh, I'm, I'm not the best person to ask because I don't think I've ever seen Real Genius or Better Off Dead. Willow, I know I've seen, but it was probably bef- like 30 years ago. So wow. I don't really remember it. <laughs> what is Val Kilmer's best movie, as far as you know? Uh, he has a best movie? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we said. He names War Games. He names Ghostbusters. Fuck yeah. Real Genius. Better Off Dead in Revenge of the Nerds. Then the Holy Trilogies. Lord of the Rings. The Matrix. Mad Max. Back to the Future. And Indiana Jones. Halliday once said that he preferred to pretend the other Indiana Jones films from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull onward didn't exist. I tend to agree. Okay, so... There's going to be another Indiana Jones film. We know that right now, right? Did uh, who who directed Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Crystal Skull according to IMDb was directed by Spielberg. Yeah. Really? Yep. I Where did George so. Lucas come in? Was he a producer or something? He may he, have been. Uh, he was He was he one was... of the writers. The story oh. was oh, written by oh. George Lucas. And there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You would think after the prequels 
George Lucas would like go to Spielberg and be like, nah, man, just let somebody else handle that. Well, I'm just, I just think it's, it's kind of funny how he says, well, Crystal Skull and onward, I'd, I like to think those don't exist, but yet the director of Crystal Skull is directing the Ready Player One movie. But we've already established that Steven Spielberg is taking himself out of this book entirely. Bastard. Ask me how. I can't answer that fucking question. I'm, that basically means there's not going to be much of a movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, that's the whole movie. I don't think they meant that he's, like, not going to be on set. How? I mean, like, look at this list. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking, it's like, it's like looking up Amblin Entertainment on IMDb. It really is. I mean, it's how he extracts himself completely from that movie. I, I will be very interested to see. Yeah. I can't. My hope is that this chapter is not a fourth wall dialogue. Like you're not seeing his shit sitting in class, staring off into space, and you hear the words going on in his head. No. I devoured each of what Holiday referred to as the Holy Trilogy. If, if that's Uh-oh. the case, though, I will say this. I will totally let that pass as long as The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News is playing in the background. <laughs> Man, I could use some Huey Lewis and the News throughout this entire soundtrack. I know. I could use it when I'm driving to work in the morning. It's fantastic. Or Huey Lewis and what did you what what did you call them last time, Chris? Huey Huey Lewis and the News, or Huey Lewis and the uh, what, what? I can't remember. Oh what. God, Huey Lewis and the Times. Huey Lewis and the Times. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> you said it like somebody's fucking mom. Like I don't know. He's out there seeing star battles <laughs> with Luke. With listening Luke, to that, with Huey Luke Lewis Cloud and the Stepper, Times. some bullshit like that. You sounded like a mom, like, referencing their child's favorite thing. Yeah. He just always gets it wrong. Luke Skywalker, I don't watch Star Trek. Yeah. How do you walk on the sky anyhow? Yeah. It doesn't make He's sense. He's off seeing Harold Leonard in the Times. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that bullshit is. The power of He's lust. He's doing that PvP. It's all sin to me. I don't care. It's all, all high on the PvP. All into that PvP. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking the PvP. All right. <laughs> Uh, he also brings up his favorite directors, and again, no need for first names here because I think all of us could go through this list and name first names. Cameron, Gilliam, Jackson, Fincher, Kubrick, Lucas, Spielberg, Del Toro, Tarantino, and of course, of course, Kevin Smith. Yeah. Kevin Smith. Did anybody else feel like that was like one of these is not like the others? Yes. 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 Very much so. Like that just felt so tacked on. It like, did. Are they are they friends, Kevin Smith and Ernest Cline? No, that's the weird thing. Is like made me think that they were. I watched. Well, there was a recent interview with Kevin Smith where he said that like somebody contacted him and said like you were brought up in this book, and he was like, no way. And he really got into Ready Player One, of course. After he read it, I mean, if you're Kevin Smith, this is right up your fucking alley. Oh yeah, Kevin Smith loves being mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> he'll, he'll fucking admit it. He's he said it. I'm a media. I'm I'm a I'm a media whore. I, I love did, my name I being mentioned. Mean that, shit. But I'm, yeah, I you're right. You're I, I don't blame wrong. him. I, I could see why Klein would be into Kevin Smith. So yeah, I, I understand. Of I, I understand the name drop. Clerks was such a good movie. Well, I mean, oh, you think of like great. you know Blunt Man and Chronic comic mm-hmm. book. Yeah. You know, 
Like he's just in, and he's into Star Wars. You know, he's, they seem to be in into the same type of stuff. So, so my one thing is not like the others was actually Terry Gilliam. Really, I was happy you put it on there, but it, to me, it stood out a little bit. What's a Gilliam movie? Brazil. Time Bandits, Brazil, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Life of Brian. Mm. I think. Those oh, are. Okay. All right. So I think that's he did. Why I, that's why I feel like he belongs on the list. Right. Right. But Kevin Smith is just this odd man out. But well, like I feel like for me, and this is my weird association of mind. Like some people who say like Pesci and uh, who was it we were talking about that one time, John? Joe Pesci and uh, Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. Or like Pacino, De Niro, like those kind of like associations you make in your mind. I think because and I think it was just because I saw Brazil. I've got this thing like if you're gonna mention Terry Gilliam, why the fuck would you not bring up Ridley Scott? Yes. Okay. Why wouldn't you bring up Ridley Scott? Absolutely. I don't know why Ridley Scott is not on this fucking list, and it bothers me. It still bothers me. Because there's plenty of reference to Blade Runner throughout the, the book. Because it's mostly other uh, directors, mostly. 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 <laughs> Why'd they come out of the night? Mostly. But Fincher? Really? <laughs> above yeah. Ridley Scott? Fincher's done some pretty damn good movies, though. But above Ridley Scott for this book. Hey, I don't know why I'm Peter saying. Jackson is on this list. I, I don't I, like anything that he's done. Outside of his favorite directors, he does... He does section off one very special entry in the greatest directors, according to Halliday, and that's John Hughes. No fucking surprise there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, John Hughes is behind the 80s. He's the architect of the 80s. <laughs> he is a reflection of teen life in the 80s. Fuck yeah, he is. Absolutely. I mean, God, that is just, that's a career. And he wrote Made in Manhattan. He did. <laughs> Like, right before he died? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was wondering. Arguably his best movie. It could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty straight. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what kind of argument you're looking to have right now. <laughs> no, I'm just... It, it was it was very disappointing to learn that. Yeah. When I, I did when not I know that, actually. That. Yeah. Wait, as disappointing as finding out that Steven Spielberg directed Crystal Skull? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew he... I knew he directed Crystal Crystal Skull, but I was disappointed in the movie itself. So (laughs) my my disappointment transpired over the course of of two hours (laughs) where when I heard Hughes wrote Made in Manhattan, I just felt. If a guy if if the writer is going to put Indiana Jones into her into a refrigerator and then his ass gets kicked through tumbleweed over five miles in a nuclear blast, if you've got to have a guy to direct that scene, only Spielberg's going to make that work. You can have an asinine written thing and you throw Steven Spielberg and you're like, actually that came out pretty damn good. I mean I don't buy it, but shit, it made it it looked good. I'll be sure we're yeah. just gonna go with that. You know, Spielberg's like the only thing that could have saved that that garbage of a plot. He's yeah. still, still had a hard time. And barely, still barely. <laughs> it was only until you get to the point where the friggin' skulls are from aliens that you go, okay, fuck this. Yeah, no. I, what bothered me about that movie was that the other movies were all like a religious paranormal basis. And this one was alien paranormal. It's like, 
that's yeah. that's not what Indiana Jones right. is about. Yeah, yeah. What I don't, what I, it belongs with NASA. What I'm actually thinking about as well is why is George Lucas in, included in his favorite directors? What do you mean why? George Lucas is a terrible director. Star I th- Wars. I, guess. I think you kind of have to throw him in there just because. Because he he wrote an amazing story that uh, somebody else put to screen and became everybody's childhood. Yeah. He did also direct American Graffiti. Yeah, and he did do uh, which was fantastic. He did he did he and direct Harrison THX? That, right? Did he direct THX eleven thirty eight? Yes, he did. I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was his first movie, which was also really fucking good. Right, right, but. I guess I guess I understand why he's included, but he wouldn't. If I had to go through my favorite directors, he wouldn't be on the list. Yeah, I feel like it's a charity mention. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, brings up John Hughes, says that he's memorizing all the key lines of dialogue, including "Only the meek get pinched, the bold survive." Now I know what movie that comes from. Do you guys? I do. I do. I right off the top of my head, too. John and Chris, do you know yeah. what what movie that's from? No. I don't. No. Mm-mm. All right. So <laughs> I did not look it up, but embarrassingly enough, I know this entire fucking movie end to end. That should probably give you enough of a hint to know what it is. They get into a Ferrari. The main <laughs> character throws a beret on his head and says, only the meat get pinched. The bold survive. And then takes off. What movie are you referencing here? Ferris Bueller's Day Off, man. That's what I thought. I, I, I don't remember that line, but that's cool. Yeah, I don't it's, remember. It's, it's, it's when they're outside, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, they're outside the restaurant and they see his father get, about to get into the cab with his co-workers or whatever. Yep. And they put and on the And there are those Japanese dudes wearing those weird yes. headdresses. Yeah, that's the scene. Right before they're, it's right after they're at Shea Keys. Which is like a joke about shakies, you know? Shakies, bonjour. It's where they had pancreas. Zabe <laughs> 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 from the Sausage King of Chicago. <laughs> God, that movie's good. Yeah, but that's 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 exactly the spot. So what what do I win? <laughs> you're already here man <laughs> this is your prize <laughs> so congrats <laughs> sorry high five <laughs> so I think this is a good time to bring it up we asked you guys our listeners your favorite lines from 80s movies we received a huge outpouring from what I'll say is a few people. <laughs> a lot of really dedicated people just just sent us uh, all their favorite 80s movies, which is awesome. Before I go on, were there any that stood out to you guys? Actually, the Pete, you nailed one of the quotes that I had mentioned a couple podcasts ago which was uh, the, the Lloyd Dauber post from Say Anything, yeah. yes. which was, I, yeah, I don't want to sell anything, that. buy <laughs> anything, or process anything <laughs> as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold, bought, or processed 
you know, as a career, I don't want to do that, which then he goes on into wanting to do kickboxing. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about a cliffhanger. Part two will be available soon. We are on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, and everywhere quality podcasts can be found. Now show some love by rating them on your favorite podcast app and let them know how much you love their hairstyles. John's hair is the bee's knees. Follow us on Twitter at GTTGPPOD, on our website at GTTGP.com or on Facebook by searching for Get to the Good Part Podcast. Where did the Pete Ah the Pete come from? So that's from an episode of Seinfeld. And since I happen to like (laughs) Scotch whiskey, particularly the Petey stuff, that worked out well. I was a Scotch drinker for a while. I like mojitos. <laughs> I like those uh, Mike's hard lemonade. <laughs> oh, those are delicious. <laughs> do, do you like Zima? You had me at cider ale. <laughs> uh, I'm getting a taste of uh, yum. Yeah. That's what I'm tasting. Yum. I got iced once at a party. It was fucking rad. <laughs> Tasted so good. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Bob, Bob, chick, chicka, chicka.